Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right along with Laura Reynolds as she talks to the auto designers, creators, and makers about the automobiles we love as we go driving in heels. Here's Laura Reynolds. It's Driving in Heels. I'm Laura Reynolds, your host. And on this week's podcast, I talk to Renault Group Nissan about their Safety Shield 360 and dig into all the features. Then we'll hear from both Bridgestone America and the Boys and Girls Clubs of America and how their partnership is helping essential workers. And we'll wrap it all up today by talking about Ford and Argo AI and how they've revealed and how they've revealed their fourth generation self-driving test vehicle. So let's get started with Nissan Senior Manager Product Safety, Sarah Carr. Cardinale and Nissan Safety Shield 360. We are talking Safety Shield 360. And I want to say congrats. I mean, you now have that in 10 different vehicles. That's awesome. Yeah, we're really excited that Safety Shield 360 will be standard in 10 models here in 2021. Um, it's just, you know, a great addition to our lineup and we're super excited about it. So which cars are going to be involved? Yeah, so the Nissan Sentra, the Leaf, the Maxima, Kicks, Rogue Sport, and Titan, as well as the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue, which is, you know, really an exciting new product that we've got coming soon. Um, that's going to be a great vehicle for families. It's got lots of neat features. We're, we're super excited about it here at Nissan. Well, that is a lot of fun, too, because um, I, I've driven the Nissan Leaf. I love it. Um, it really surprised me in the fact that I was one of those people that was like, I've got a lead foot, you know, what's going to happen, you know, and, uh, I enjoy driving the leaf. So I'm excited to talk to you, uh, next week, actually about the Nissan Rogue. This will be cool. Oh, perfect. And we do also have safety shield 360 coming in three more models that we're going to be announcing in the upcoming months. Oh, you're teasing us now. <laughs> Well, that just means that I'm going to have to have another interview with you later so I can find out those other three models. Perfect. You know, what are you going to do? So what is included with the safety shield, which by the way, sounds like it came from Star Trek, you know, like shields up, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's six different features. Um, that's automatic emergency braking with pedestrian detection, um, blind spot warning, rear automatic braking, rear cross traffic alert, lane departure warning, and high beam assist. So it's really, you know, um, it's a set of features that uses sensors that's, you know, helping look around the vehicle um, really, you know, kind of 360 degrees to 
help detect, um, you know, anything that might be out there and help provide 360 degrees of um, driver assistance and, and crash avoidance. So what are we using to do that? Are we using what lasers, radar? What, how are we doing this? Yeah, so we use a combination of different sensors, um, predominantly radar, um, cameras, and uh, sonar sensors. So let's take one of them as example, um, a lane departure. So if, if I start to, you know, kind of just weave over because I'm changing the dial on my radio or something like that, what, what's first going to happen? What's, how's the vehicle going to tell me I'm doing that? Yeah, so if you start to drift out of your lane, the, the vehicle's looking forward and looking at those lane markers. And if it detects that you're drifting out of your lane a bit, um, it'll provide um, a warning to you. Um, and it's a visual warning as well as either an audible or a, a haptic warning. And, and haptic is kind of a fancy word for meaning that your steering wheel might vibrate a little bit to uh, let you know. Okay, okay. So I've gotten that now. I've the you know that it's telling me Laura hello check in what happens after that does the car actually help you start to correct with lane departure warning it just provides the warning um, and then the driver needs to make the correction obviously and help bring the vehicle back into their lane well the one that I need the most is helping backing up because I am terrible at that <laughs> so <laughs> So tell me how that works. Yeah, so we've actually got two features that help with the backup. And, you know, like you said, I, I really find both of these to be super helpful. Um, the first one is the rear cross traffic alert. And what that's doing is it's looking um, for approaching vehicles that are coming, you know, from either side behind you as you're backing up. So, you know, I kind of like to think about this as being really helpful in the grocery store parking lot where, you know, people are kind of like coming and going all the time. So if you've got like a large SUV parked next to you and it's hard to see if somebody's coming, um, this will give you, um, you know, an alert as you start to back up if it detects that a vehicle's approaching. And that way, you know, to put on your brakes and wait until that car passes um, to continue backing up. The other feature that can help with the rear um, when you're in reverse is the rear automatic braking. Um, and that system can help detect stationary objects behind you when you're backing up. So no more, uh, you know, hitting that garbage can that's sitting at the bottom of your driveway uh, if you've got this feature. So really, you know, both of these are, you know, I think really useful for people in their everyday lives. It's funny that you bring up the garbage can. I, I've never done that, you know, hit the garbage can. <laughs> And it's just the worst between that and uh, like taking your grocery store example, those stupid carts, you just can't see them, you know, when they're behind you. Yeah. So yeah. Lot, lots of real world functionality, you know, and, and you know, this can just, you have some features like this and, you know, I think it just gives people a little bit of extra confidence and, you know, feeling like they've got a little extra support while they're driving. Well, speaking of confidence, let's talk about how some of these safety features help you know, the new driver, maybe teenagers. And then also, you know, we got to look at senior citizens who maybe their skills have kind of, you know, gotten a little degraded over the years. Yeah. So, you know, Safety Shield 360 is, is great, not only for teen drivers, but like, as you mentioned, senior drivers as well. And, you know, honestly, everybody in the middle. Um, teen drivers are unique because they're getting used to busy roads and, you know, and they don't yet really have the, that years of driving experience to help make them, you know, to help them make quick decisions while driving. 
And so technologies like those in Safety Shield 360 can definitely be a help there. And, you know, like you said, senior drivers may also appreciate, um, you know, just having a little extra bit of support and confidence when they navigate, you know, more stressful driving situations. Now, I know we said that this is in 10 models, which is awesome. If it's not in one of the models I want, can I get it added on? Uh, no, it, uh, it would need to be offered, you know, on the vehicle as a standard or optional feature in order for you to get it. Okay, and so you said that um, three more models are coming that are going to get the 360 safety shield. Are we talking 2021, 2022? Yeah, so there's three more that are going to be announced in 2021. Okay, 21. Okay, awesome. So I know you guys never rest. It's like, it's like you have cots there at work and you just sleep there <laughs> and get back up and work again. So what do you kind of see coming in the future? I mean, I know you're going to be building even more onto that safety shield package. Well, please, first, please don't give my boss that cot idea because he may <laughs> take you up on it. <laughs> But secondly, yeah, I mean, safety is always on our minds here at Nissan. Um, you know, we're always looking for ways to keep innovating, keep developing new features to help support drivers and, you know, improve safety. So, you know, I'm excited for what the future will hold. I, I think this is, um, this is great. And, you know, we're really working hard. So you're not going to be wrapping any vehicles in bubble wrap or anything like that? You know, I can't spill any secrets. Our competitors might listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, Sarah, this has been a lot of fun. Is there anything I haven't covered that you want our listeners to know about your safety shield? No, you know, I think like, like you said, like we're just, we're really happy that this is, um, you know, available um, or going to be available in 2021 on 10 of our popular models. And um, we're really excited for the new Rogue that's coming out shortly. Well, we're going to hit you up on that Rogue next week, you know. Perfect. Perfect. You can learn all about it then. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you again to Sarah Cardinale for joining us. When we return, Bridgestone Americas has upped their donation to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America to $1.6 million to meet the new and unique needs of families during COVID-19. We'll talk to both Bridgestone's Cole Wilford and Boys and Girls Club Chad Royal Pasco next on Driving in Heels. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
This is Driving in Heels with Laura Reynolds. Each week, Laura talks with auto manufacturers to keep you in the know about the latest and greatest in the cars, trucks, and SUVs you love to drive. Here's more Driving in Heels with Laura Reynolds. I'm Laura Reynolds, and you're listening to Driving in Heels. And in this segment, I'm talking to Bridgestone Regional Area Manager Cole Wilford about how Bridgestone recognized back in April that COVID-19 would severely impact families and the kids of the Boys and Girls Club of America. The company pivoted on the amount of their donations and the new needs of BGCA. I appreciate you talking to us about what you, what you guys got going on with Bridgestone. I understand they've been sure. a partner for a while, but uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Boys and Girls Club, could you tell us a little bit about the organization itself? Sure. So, um, it, so Boys and Girls Club is many things. So I will I will provide it in a nutshell to to you though. So we are the largest uh, youth development uh, organization that provides after school services to kids throughout the country and on military bases around the world. And so we serve you know over four million kids per year in um, over forty seven hundred clubs across the nation. Um, you know, we like to say where, wherever you are, there is a club there. You may not recognize it as such, but there is one there. And, you know, we're there for kids who need us most um, to help them ensure that they have a greater future. Um, so we provide services that um, range from academic success to health and wellness to good character and leadership and um, workforce programs as well, in, in addition to providing essential services. That's just amazing what all that you guys can do. And I know parents must be so thankful that you guys are there. Um, yes, especially now. And we've had to pivot in so many different ways than what we've had before. Um, so yes, it has been, um, let's just say that it's been a very, um, a very interesting year um, from, the, <laughs> from the start. So um, we have we have pivoted, which means that it is really a change in strategy. It's not a change in mission. And so, you know, many things, um, you know, we as well as many other um, companies, of course, have their strategic plan laid out for the next, you know, five or six years. And all of a sudden, many of those things were put on their head. Um, one of them for us was virtual learning and virtual programming, which came from maybe not at the very back, but certainly towards the back um, and came right towards the front. Um, and so that was something that we very quickly had to move into the space of and then also providing um, essential services such as meals and provide, you know, really in, in many cases had to provide information um, for our families and for the community about how do we decipher all of this medical information that's coming at us and what do we believe? Like, what, what are we supposed to know? And, you know, we had many of our families that were looking for that and, and were looking for the same thing that they look for boys and girls clubs in a, in a quote unquote non-pandemic world is that, you know, for safety and security and a place to go for answers. And, you know, we worked through and found um, different ways to serve our communities than we ever have before, which is, which is kind of amazing. And I think that coming out of the pandemic of, of COVID, which we're not out of yet, um, I wish I was able to say that in the past tense, um, is that I think that, that many have learned that number one, there is a boys and girls club near them. And number two, how essential that club is to their community um, and how many different services that it can provide. So for our listeners right now, if somebody's saying, you know what, this would be great for my kids. How can they get in contact with their local club? And what are some of the things that you're going to ask that parent? 
super easy. Um, so you just have to go online to www.bgca.org um, and you're going to find a little section that's on the front of our website um, and you're going to put in your zip code and you're going to find out where your local club is, where your nearest local club. And then um, a lot of those, you know, many of the clubs are going to have the same services that are there, but they will have specific information about how to get in touch with the club um, about the services that club is providing right now, which is a little bit, you know, a little bit less consistent than what it normally is, um, depending upon your municipality, depending upon, you know, what state you're in, depending upon whether, I don't know, just everything that we're all dealing with with COVID right now. Um, but, you know, the good thing is that more and more of our clubs are open. There are more and more clubs that are serving, um, you know, over 3,000 clubs right now out of that 4,700 are doing virtual programming. There are many of them that are open. Um, instead, you know, we're normally after school, but we're really, um, in many of them, we're, near, we're 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. now. Oh. Um, and so we're serving as a virtual learning center. Um, for for parents and, and helping them in that way. So lots um, lots going on and, and really an expanded need. It is. And, and that's amazing that you guys are able to do that seven to seven. I mean, because like you were saying earlier, it was in April when you guys decided that, you know what, we've got to change. The pandemic's here. We've got to do stuff different. And you were able to spin it that fast to what you need today. Yeah. I mean, certainly not um, that it's that, yes, my summary of that was, is probably a lot, uh, a lot bigger um, than it, than it sounds. So there were a lot of people involved in helping to make those pivots, including, you know, really, I think, you know, the unsung heroes of our organization, which are the club CEOs um, and all of the, all of the club workers who are able to quickly analyze not only what needs to be done within the community, but then what they have, you know, at their disposal and then what they can work with. And then so many volunteers and so many companies um, that have stepped forward to help us either in terms of items or in terms of, you know, donations, which we've been able to funnel through to the clubs in terms of pass through, um, which have been out, which have allowed them in order to, um, in order to maintain their services, however they, however they're able to do that in their particular area. Now, Bridgestone has been a partner with you guys for several years, but what was it like getting that call saying, hey, we understand too that you're, you guys are going to need more because of what is going on? So I think that, you know, it's a testament to, to partners like Bridgestone, and I really think a testament to, you know, to, to many partners within Boys and Girls Clubs is that we're, we're very close um, with our partners and really having constant conversations with them about what's needed. And there's so many, you know, um, there's so many employees that are involved in their local clubs. And so they know, even before they would get a call from the national office, they're already sitting on a board in their local communities. And, you know, and, and so they already know kind of what's going on as well. And so they're able to, to pivot to those areas. But I think, you know, just the same as, as uh, Bridgestone, you know, overall did with us on a national level is that they very graciously said, you know, what do you need us to do? And, you know, in that particular case, um, you know, Bridgestone since 2014 has provided, you know, millions millions of dollars um, in, in funding for us through um, donations by their bosses, um, which, are their, which are their folks uh, that are their customers, so by their bosses. So they've, they've raised close to $11 million and been able to provide transportation grants, very true to their brand, of course, 
Um, and all of a sudden that had to pivot of the way that the way that we do that. And so they allowed us the flexibility um, to to work and provide the essential services, um, which were not getting kids to our clubs any longer, which but which was turned around into, okay, the number one thing that we need right now is food out to our kids. And so now all those all those vans that were used to be bringing kids to our clubs are now taking food to our kids that are not at our clubs. <laughs> Oh, wow. How did you guys even organize all that? Different in every single city. Um, so I would say that it's, it's one of those things that's really different in every single city is that, you know, we have cases where a city or a municipality said, listen, you know, we need you to stay open for um, our essential workers um, to take care of, you know, the kids of our essential workers so that they can be in the hospitals, et cetera. Or, you know, especially when you get into an area that is maybe more remote, um, is that, you know, you have one centralized place where food is coming from, and now how can we get, you know, transportation out um, to all of the communities and all the kids and all the families in order to provide food? And then, you know, we, we like to say that we play well in the sandbox with other people. And so, you know, the Boys and Girls Club is really much a hub of its community. And so we work with a lot of other organizations um, as well in order to make those things happen. That is just amazing how you guys have pulled this off and pulled it off so well. I, I'm just, I'm amazed. And I'm very proud that, you know, to be a part of just being able to tell people what is going on and how they can help you guys. So how can we help? So there's lots of different ways. I mean, there, there, it's all depending upon whether it's in the local community or whether it's depending upon if you're a corporation or you're a corporation that's considering, hey, how can we help and make sure that, you know, that what we're doing is going to get, you know, towards us to just have a simple conversation to start off with, you know, um, myself or a member of my team. Um, and we can start to have that conversation. Um, and then we, we have some internal rubrics that we use in order to make sure that we're getting, um, funding and in order to get resources to the clubs that need it the most. Um, so, you know, we have a huge network, obviously, with 4,700 clubs. And so there's a whole team and a whole army, I should say, of people that are making sure that, that things get to where they're supposed to go to. And um, we maintain those relationships with our clubs, of course, um, and they're letting us know their needs and, and vice versa. But, you know, because of that is that we're able to provide services to the communities we're able to serve youth of essential workers. We're able to provide, you know, virtual programming. Um, I think that was a term that nobody really, you know, is just not as many, certainly not as many parents knew what that meant. Distance learning, I think is, is the, maybe the buzzword for 2020 besides, besides COVID. Distance learning um, and, and, and or co-working um, in your own home. Um, and then, you know, the number of meals, unbelievable, that we were able to provide to, to the kids and to their families. So give us the website again uh, so that oh, we, yeah, can, sure. we can help out. Very easy. So bgca.org, that's where you can start. Um, and if you want to find a club, there's a club finder location. Uh, there's a club finder locator that is right up at the top. And otherwise than that, um, you know, you can, you can click on there to find out how you can become involved. And normally that's going to end up with an email um, that comes in uh, my direction or comes in somebody's direction. And it'll get started with somebody and it'll eventually root its way to the right place. Now, I know you've worked with so many kids, but I know you have that one story about that one kid that just stands out in your mind when you think of Boys and Girls Club. Tell us about that kid. 
So I would say, you know, for me, and I mean, there's certainly plenty of, um, there's certainly plenty of, of COVID ones. And I would say that, that probably during, um, during this time and, and all the social unrest and the social, you know, and, and the civil unrest that has taken place over the course of the past few months, there's been, you know, really painstaking stories. Um, and I think, but when you take a look at, it's probably in the form of a picture um, when you take a look at what's changed at a Boys and Girls Club. And so I saw a picture a little while ago that was of a welcome desk, which is where, you know, everybody always comes into when they're first there. And um, all of a sudden to see everybody wearing masks is so, so different, right? Um, and so there's a little girl there wearing a mask and there's, you know, her, you know, her adult mentor that's wearing a mask. Um, and I think that, you know, it's really the fact that, um, you know, a little kid kind of taking their mask down and saying, like, I'm so glad that, you know, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm so glad that I get to, like, at least socially distance um, play with my with my family and friends because they thrive on that by the, you know, their very, their very nature. Kids need that social aspect. And I think that that's been super, super difficult for them. And I think that you know, with them is that we've heard a lot of stories of kids that have just said it gives them this sense of normalcy to be there and to be somewhere where they recognize that's not at their home. And, you know, I think of the relationship between adults and kids. And it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you, you know, when there was something wrong, you ask your parents, right? And your parents told you everything's going to be okay. I think in this world and in this, this world that we're living in, there's nobody that can tell you that everything's going to be okay. Right, and so we have to start to measure a little bit differently. And our clubs actually help to provide that support for those kids and help to provide a sense of normalcy for them and a sense of normalcy for our parents um, who then can <laughs> and, and maybe work for a few hours and, and know that their kids are taken care of and they're safe and that they have a meal and that you know, they have activities and they have people that are helping them um, you know, with their lessons, et cetera, so yeah. I, I, you are, you're making me tear up. I mean, you no. honestly are because of all the things that you do uh, for our communities. Um, is there anything that I have forgotten? Is there anything you want to tell us? You know, um, I don't know that there's anything that, um, that has been forgotten. I would just say, you know, that, that Boys and Girls Hubs has, it's, it's funny because we think of today where we are today in, in 2020. And we think about, you know, where we were as an organization, you know, some 160 years ago. And we're not the same, although essentially we are the same, is that we've been providing a safe place for kids to go to after school. Now, the challenges that they face were different then, than they've been different, you know, up until this time. And I think the resilience of, you know, not only the clubs, but also the kids, because, you know, kids are resilient creatures as well. And so, you know, for them, they're like, big deal, I'll put a mask on and I'll go play with my friends, right? Whereas all of a sudden, we as adults are having this large time with it, where it's like, kids are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, so I think in many, in many cases, they adjust and adapt more quickly than we may as, 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 uh, as adults. But you know, I, I think especially when it comes down to Bridgestone is that we, we would not be possible if it wasn't for the sake of our partners. And many of our partners have been with us for a long period of time. Um, and Bridgestone, you know, has been with us since 2014 and um, has done just such an amazing job with, you know, all of their teammates 
and all of their bosses to drive awareness of Boys and Girls Club through their donations at the register, which if you take a look at this year in 2020, and you take a look at the, the absolute kind of graciousness and you know un, unwavering support that they've still offered throughout the course of this pandemic, um, you know, a lot of times in crises, people think like, oh, no, you know, giving goes down. And it does. I don't want to don't negate that. But the generosity of, of Bridgestone as a company and the generosity of Bridgestone's teammates and the generosity of Bridgestone's bosses or, or you know, their customers has really been quite unbelievable um, and has helped us to, to impact, you know, the more, the, more than 350 clubs and thousands of club members. So they've helped us and they've, they've They've also been understanding when we said, okay, well, kids are not coming to the clubs anymore. What else can we do? <laughs> and they've been understanding about that. And I think that those are the kind of partners that you need. And now for how those donations from Bridgestone help families in your community. Here's Boys and Girls Club's Chad Royal Pesco. Well, I just thought it was so cool that, I mean, you guys have always been a partner with Boys and Girls Club, but now you've like stepped it up even more. Can you tell us a little bit about the history behind, you know, how you've worked with the Boys and Girls Club? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it started in 2015, the partnership with Bridgestone and the Boys and Girls Club. And I think what was really intriguing is, number one, I, I believe Bridgestone has always been a part of local communities. Um, and I think what we wanted to do is we wanted to, to your point, we wanted to step up more at a, at a national level. Um, and so when we started thinking about our footprint from our retail locations, we have over 2,200 retail locations in America, uh, which is awesome. And when you kind of start thinking about, you know, Boys and Girls Club, they mimic the footprint that we have as well. And so when we're thinking about who can we connect uh, with that are locally and nationally, and who can, who can we have a, a major impact? And I'm obviously a big believer that you start with the children and, and, and the communities, the children in the communities uh, as well. So it's kind of a good marriage. Since then, uh, we've donated uh, 12, raised and, raised and donated $12.5 million uh, to the Boys and Girls Club, which is awesome. Super, yeah. super excited about. That's amazing. And then like we were talking about, you even went above and beyond that to help with what's going on with the pandemic. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing. So obviously when the pandemic started um, back in April, Boys and Girls Club obviously was trying to transition and figure out, well, we can't have people go to our clubs and specifically the kids. Uh, and then you layer in the families that were impacted and the reality is a lot of our families that were, uh, where they, their kids go to the clubs, those, uh, a lot of those workers are essential workers in America as well. And so they had to continue to go you know, to work, right? And support their, their local communities and their families. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, uh, so how do I you know, take care of my child, right? Um, how do I take my take care of my child for you know uh, food needs? Because a lot of times when you think about the, the schools lunches and even the boys and girls club food after you know after after school uh, programs, um, that's you know from a family's perspective they rely on that food. And then you start thinking about um, childcare, right? And who's going to watch our, our children? And then obviously then it's remote and education. And there's a lot of under the under the umbrella of uh, virtual education, as you know. So starting with, you know, technology and then who's actually, you know, providing that education. And so Boys and Girls Club, they, they pivoted 
they started uh, the COVID-19 relief fund, um, you know, in April. And with Bridgestone, we did the same thing with, you know, as we heard, you know, the need. And so uh, both Q1 and Q2, we donated all the customer donations. Uh, and it was really towards uh, essential meals, uh, essential technology. Uh, on, one of the things I was really proud of was online or virtual mentorship with, for both kids and, uh, and the families too, to go through this psychological um, challenge during the COVID. And so we pivoted, uh, uh, Boys and Girls Club pivoted, and I think um, we've been able to uh, serve thousands of, of meals and, I, and, and mentor, you know, uh, tons of, of kids in our community. I'm, I'm really proud of our company and both companies, actually. Well, but you touched on it a little bit um, that this was kind of a joint effort between the customers of Bridgestone and Bridgestone itself. That's that right. helped out Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, we, the only way we can, you know, uh, um, donate, right, is because of our customers and our customer base. And um, it's very inspiring as I visit um, stores and, you know, my, my employees who work in the stores uh, endlessly, who are also, by the way, essential workers, right, we're right. deemed by our, by our government, which is, you know, uh, pretty cool for us. Um, but we continue to, you know, rally cry in our stores with our customers and, and ask for donations uh, and then, you know, make sure that those donations, again, my companies, you know, started giving those donations quickly, right, instead of the end of the year. And um, I think that was just phenomenal on both aspects. But the customers are really the only reason why we get a chance to, to celebrate this, right? Exactly. So how easy is it for a customer to donate? It's actually really easy, which is very, very cool. I, I think that, um, I think the muscle of donations, and, and I can only give you my limited view over the last two decades, in, you know, in work, but you, when you start thinking about the holidays and, you know, there's other foundations like St. Jude, who's been, you know, phenomenal over the last decade, specifically with other organizations, I think that um, Americans, you know, start understanding uh, the value of, you know, donations and I know it can be kind of daunting during uh, the holidays, specifically every, every company seems to ask for a dollar, right? But uh, what I really I appreciate Boys and Girls Club, again, uh, which is unique, is because um, those donations, you can see it come into fruition into your local communities. In, in my region specifically, um, actually there's two different regions I've, I've I had the pleasure to over, oversee in, in the last couple of years. Um, we've been able to donate, you know, club bands, uh, and I've been able to be a part of that with my leadership team and the stores, like the local stores, to present that band as a surprise to, you know, the kids and watch their faces light up because those vans at that time, uh, and I know because I was a, gl a club kid, those vans uh, usually are not reliable and they're not very comfortable to ride with or if your, your van even works, right? And those are critical activities, you know, for, for club kids. And so those are, those are examples that we've been able to show our local community when you donate, right? This is what, you know, has happened. And um, I've been present when customers have come back and we were actually working on one of the bands we were, we were preparing for it. And they're like, oh, I donated like $10, you know, six months ago. And now I was wondering, and this is awesome. So they're really excited about seeing that, that happen. I, I love hearing your excitement uh, of how of how this is working. But the other thing I wanted to touch upon, and you kind of said it a little bit, is that this is a very personal project for you. I mean, yes. you actually were in Boys and Girls Club. 
Yes, ma'am. And, uh, and I give um, the Boys and Girls Club organization and obviously the people that engaged and gave me an opportunity to learn uh, about life uh, so much credit that uh, I could pivot at a, at a really pivotal time in my life. I mean, I was a youth. I was 10 years old at the time. Uh, I spent a couple years um, within the Boys, Boys and Girls Club. And again, maybe I don't think a lot of people realize the Boys and Girls Club are strategically placed within you know, communi communities that sometimes they need additional mentorship, they need additional um, you know, guidance. Uh, they're, they're tough communities, at least I know mine was uh, specifically. And what I, what I share with you is at that moment, I only knew what I knew. What I mean by that is the world to me at that moment was, uh, there was a lot of um, poverty, crime, you know, sorrow, you know, and, and when, you, when you see that, you don't really realize the vast majority of opportunities you have as a, as a, as a person. And so when I entered the Boys and Girls Club, um, those particular volunteers showed me uh, compassion, sympathy, empathy, and then, hey, by the way, your dream can be just, right? You know, let's talk about that. Let's figure out what you need. And so it allowed me to make an actual um, really critical decision for me personally. And, uh, and I've and obviously have held that, you know, uh, since then. And more importantly, I'm trying to do everything I can to make sure I give back in different ways uh, and give another child an opportunity uh, to be great, I guess, is, is keep it simple. <laughs> oh, well, you are a shining example of what Boys and Girls Club can do and how they can make a difference in, in people's lives. And I, the, the thing that just blows my mind though is the fact that um, as a company, you guys were able to pivot so quickly because normally companies don't do that. Once they set their plan for the year, they're done. But you realize that there was a need and that the need was now and you were able to, to get on it. Yeah, I, I credit, obviously, you know, our leadership. Um, I'm going to call out Joe Benizia as our president of retail operations in Bridgestone. Uh, without his vision, you know, a few years back, and obviously all the leaders uh, beyond, you know, that surround him. Uh, but he also made that announcement or that pivot, that awareness in the middle of pandemic. Think about that. You're, you're president and, uh, of a company, a large organization. You're seeing everything go around you uh, that you are trying to help your own you know, employees and your own company and to pause for a moment, right? And think, okay, what about, you know, our partnership with the Boys and Girls Club? And then, you know, our vice president, Marco as well. And then all of our, my leadership, uh, you know, Tom Abel, they all, you know, rallied behind it. And it allowed us to, like I said, donate that $1.6 million uh, in advance. I got it, gave it. And uh, we said, hey, what can we do and, uh, to, to, to help even uh, further support, you know, Boys and Girls Club? Very, very cool. It is very cool, in my opinion. It is. It, it is very cool. So for listeners right now, if they want to help out, can they just walk into a Bridgestone? Absolutely. Just please do, by the way. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, if you go into a Bridgestone uh, location uh, right on the pump, you can actually donate at any type of amount. But we have our standard $1, $5, $10, takes two seconds. Um, you know, we, we definitely would welcome you and uh, we make sure that it's a safe um, uh, shopping experience, by the way, for our customers. So uh, we make sure that um, uh, we have that available for, for all of our bosses. Uh, we call our customers bosses. So our boss is available. So cool. Well, Cole, I, I cannot say thank you enough for what you and Bridgestone have done. This is just awesome to hear. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add? Has there something that Laura hasn't asked yet? 
I, you know, you've done a great job. I'm very thorough. I appreciate that. No, I think the, the thing that, I don't know if it's necessarily add, but I just want to reiterate. So as, you know, the pandemic, um, you know, continues and then eventually, uh, God willing, you know, ends, right? Uh, you can, uh, the, our customers, uh, you can rely on us uh, with this partnership to then transition and pivot back uh, to make sure that the local communities um, are also supported where we can go back, you know, in person full time. And, uh, and continue to donate and understand that you, you may be in a community right now that you'll see a, a club, you know, kids band soon, uh, soon, right? And uh, that's all I wanted to, to reiterate. So uh, we appreciate you, the customers, and, and obviously uh, Boys and Girls Club, and obviously my, my leadership in Bridgeton. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I, I can't express how touching your story was and to see it come full circle like that. Thank you. I appreciate you. You can help the Boys and Girls Clubs of America by donating at any Firestone Complete Auto Care, Tires Plus, Hipdone Tire Plus, and Wheelworks locations. Thanks for listening to Driving in Heels. Well, we're getting closer and closer to having autonomous vehicles in your driveway. Ford and Argo AI are now working on the fourth generation of self-driving vehicles and all the technology upgrades as they test and refine performance to prepare for launch. That's up next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Driving in Heels with Laura Reynolds. Let's get back to Laura having a lot of fun talking about cars. I'm Laura Reynolds, and on this segment of Driving in Heels, I talked to Ford Chief Engineer of Ford Autonomous Vehicles, LLC, John Davis, about the fourth generation self-driving vehicle, the Ford Escape. You've got to be the coolest guy on your block when you talk to the guys, because you're like, yeah, man, I'm doing self, you know, cars that can drive themselves, you know, when you talk about careers. I mean, that's just really cool. So has this been the project you've been working on all along? Uh, not all along. So I've been at Ford for a long time. I've been here for over 31 years. Um, and I've been with the autonomous uh, team for just a little over a year now. Um, I've been on the vehicle program side for many years, uh, leading all kinds of different products from the, both the Ford and the Lincoln side. Um, but, uh, you know, this has been a really interesting learning experience for me. It's one of the reasons I actually took the job was I thought uh, it's probably the greatest learning opportunity for me personally um, to do something like this, right? It's one of the biggest technology challenges that we've got um, you know, I, I kind of equated to, I can only imagine what the NASA engineers felt like in the 60s about, oh, we're going to try to put a, a person on the moon. <laughs> um, and so it has some of those 
um, you know, things to it in terms of the, the complications of what it means to make a, a vehicle self-driving. And then when you think about it in the context from a Ford perspective, we're actually doing it in the end-to-end -end basis. So it's really establishing the service. The vehicle is really just a building block of delivering that autonomous mobility service to customers, whether it's moving people or moving goods. And so, uh, yeah, it's quite a complex challenge, but one, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly interesting and uh, gets me up every day. Well, congrats, because, I mean, you're on the, the fourth generation of this now. So, I mean, that's a big difference, you know, being on the fourth generation. Can you tell us a little bit about the history? It is, certainly. So, you know, our history goes back many years, uh, including, you know, we were one of the, uh, the only real OEMs to participate in the, the DARPA project, uh, which was establishing, you know, just kind of the fundamentals of a self-driving vehicle to navigate a really difficult task. And that ultimately emerged into our own internal work in autonomous vehicles and working with, with other partners in terms of how we would establish that. And then eventually, uh, now three, four years ago, partnering with Argo AI. Um, and so that's been huge in terms of that development space. Uh, as you mentioned, um, we're on another iteration of our autonomous test vehicle. This is number four. The fusions that everybody knows uh, around the streets today are our third generation. Uh, we've had a couple iterations of those as well before. What's new about this one is we take um, the brand new Ford Escape and uh, we integrate not just using what a great architecture that is to start with, but new sensing capabilities, new compute capabilities, um, and then use that as another learning test bed. But this one is a little different than Fusion. We've announced that the Escape is going to be the architecture that we actually take to our commercial service. And so what that means is we can actually develop uh, in the current fourth generation vehicle as a test bed that then can move seamlessly into our business as we're ready to stand that up in, in 22. Yeah, I don't know what my preconceived notions were, but for some reason, you know, I think spaceships or something like that, but you actually took vehicles that you've already have and are making these where they can be autonomous. Right, and so it allows us to leverage uh, many of the strengths that Ford already has. Uh, so we've been, been building, you know, cars and trucks and, and utilities for over a hundred years. Um, the brand new Ford Escape is a great vehicle because the hybrid is, comes a part of our new fourth generation hybrid system as well. Uh, what's nice about that is the high voltage system, the high voltage battery is placed underneath the floor of the car. And that opens up so many things, right? It doesn't rob the interior of the space that you want to use for carrying people and, and stuff. And so when we need to integrate our self-driving technologies into that same vehicle, it's a big enabler in that same way. We've got a lot of modules, a lot of electrical changes, the power that we need to help drive um, our sensing and compute technology. All of those things are much more easily enabled because of that new escape architecture. And it also helps us with some scale. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to blend both our core strengths and then working with our partners at Argo, uh, these elements around our self-driving system. So we're not losing any space at all? I mean, putting in the autonomous uh, equipment that's needed to do this? Well, we're gonna lose a little bit, but it's, it's much different than even our prior generation vehicles in, in terms of the way they were architected. It's so much more efficient 
those high voltage batteries are still quite large and they take up a lot of space. So the ability to put them under, under floor helps us a lot. Uh, it's also the way in which we manage uh, even the temperature of certain things. A high voltage battery needs to be cooled, um, has a liquid cooled system. Our main uh, compute system has to be liquid cooled. And so having, again, that architecture to build from is, is really helpful. Um, at the end of the day, we'll be able to balance, best balance the uh, availability and use of the interior um, because that uh, escape architecture is, is a good starting point. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the uh, sensor suite being upgraded. What else has been upgraded? So those are the main ones we're talking about today. Uh, sensors, of course, is huge. It's, we have to detect so many things around the car to, to enable it to drive. Um, and so that has to be a complement of many different sensor types. We talk about LIDARs, we talk about cameras and radars, and they all really need to work together in part because no single sensor can kind of do it on its own. Um, the new fourth generation test vehicles uh, in our uh, space here uh, come out with almost every one of those sensors is new in some way. We've provided some new capability um, uh, to that sensor. And so our long-range LiDAR is, is all new. It's got 128 uh, lasers uh, that are circling uh, all the time to be able to provide a 360-degree view. Um, we've added for the first time short-range LiDAR. So this is something that's, say, looking in the 30 to 40-meter range away from the vehicle. And it's really eliminating the blind spots that even you as a human driver uh, could easily have. Uh, we use several of these around the car in order to see better. And then we complement both that long-range LiDAR and the short-range LiDAR with cameras. Uh, and again, new cameras on the vehicle to do those same things. And they help, again, complement that entire capability. And then, of course, a number of radars around the vehicle, um, and they're all working together. And then on the compute side, you know, a new uh, hardware set there uh, that uses new processors, uh, both to handle the driving situation and as well as to process all the image uh, information that comes back from those sensors. So it's, uh, it's really uh, uh, quite an evolution within our design space. Yeah, that's what I was thinking right when you were talking about all the computing power that you need to do everything that you were just talking about. I'm imagining way back when computers first started and they took up an entire room and now we've got laptops or our, tele our cell phone. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, so I mean, everything is getting a lot more condensed so that yeah. you can do things like this. Right, and it does need a lot of computing power and capability. So we think about our, our computer is actually you know, pretty, pretty large in terms of its physical computing capability Think of these sort of large uh, industrial servers, given the, the amount of data that they need to handle, even generate some of these animated movies that you see. Um, it does take a lot of computing ca capacity, and that's what we've added as well in, into this vehicle. John, tell me you have sat in one of these vehicles, and what's it like? Tell me, tell me. I oh, have. Um, okay, cool. You know, the interesting <laughs> thing is going to come in the form of, you know, a very, very different experience. Um, now, when we start out, of course, we still want to do this safely. We've got a lot of, of uh, further development to do. So it's, it's not ready to go fully autonomous immediately tomorrow and take all of our customers uh, around the U.S. Um, but that's part of the progression we have to do, right? There's, there's more work that we have in front of us. But, but it's really about that experience, right? Being able to trust that the vehicle can do this job. So we have 
confidence and trust building we need to do uh, not only with our customers, but for the cities that we work with. Um, uh, we need to be uh, on top of where the regulatory and policymakers uh, are taking mobility requirements and particularly the autonomous space because a lot of people are concerned about whether or not you know we can actually do this safety and so safely so we've got to uh, instill that confidence in all of our partners and our customers and that only comes with the hard work that we've got in front of us from a, from a technical and engineering perspective. No, that is so cool. I mean, do you see people eventually having to take special tests in order to get used to this type of car? Well, we want to do this as intuitively as possible. Um, so the, the drivers that we use today as safety drivers, uh, when we're out testing on, on public roads and on test tracks, certainly they have to have special training uh, to make sure uh, they know how and when to control the vehicle when, when required. Um, but from a customer perspective, you know, we really don't want to train our customers as much as we want to have uh, an intuitive experience. And so we're spending a lot of time in what we call human-centered design to make sure that we understand how customers can and will react uh, to what we present them in terms of this vehicle. Do you think about the problem? It's not just driving the car uh, by itself, but how to get vehicles uh, to customers, how to get customers in and out of those vehicles, how to put goods that you might be delivering with an autonomous vehicle in and out uh, safely, reliably, quickly, uh, you know, that's part of the, the technical space we have to work in as well. Do you see the cabin changing very much at all? We certainly do expect to change it. Now, we're not talking about what all those changes will be today. That'll, that'll come in the future. Um, but yes, we do expect that we've got to make changes in there to adapt in part due to the customer experience that we want to deliver. Um, and also, you know, how we will interface with those customers as they're traveling. Um, we've got all kinds of requirements to make sure that not only are they having a comfortable ride, um, but what else can we do to interact with them? How do we make sure they're taken care of and safe? Uh, so that's just part of the, the, the rest of the elements that we have to address in an autonomous vehicle. So when do you think phase five is? Well, we haven't really announced the next phase. I mean, in, in many ways, this is the vehicle that will carry us into that service. So we don't really think of it so much much as a whole nother generation. It's really going to be now, I think, a continuum between this fourth generation and essentially migrating into our service startup in 22. Oh my gosh, that is just, it just seems like tomorrow. I mean, it's that close. <laughs> it does. It does. Do you see? That's what worries some of the engineers. <laughs> Well, you guys are always worried about safety and stuff. We are. I mean, come on. We are, we are generally a worried, nervous bunch. <laughs> well, somebody's got to be, right? Exactly. Especially with all of us lead foot drivers. I'm not going to name myself, but. <laughs> right. And we have to react to those too. <laughs> I, well, I was going to volunteer my mom to be one of your test drivers, because if somebody could push a wrong button somewhere, it would be her. It'd be her. Yeah, yeah. See, and you could test it on her and go, why in the hell did she push that button? You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we'll put her on the list. <laughs> yeah, there you go. As you see it progressing to commercial, I mean, is this something that is going to be totally out of a regular person's price range? I mean, have you guys thought about that um, price-wise yet? Yeah, I think there's a much longer time frame uh, about what happens in the personal ownership space. From a Ford perspective, we are intending to do this as an end-to-end -end service. 
And so from that perspective, we're not anticipating selling these to individual customers. We are gonna work with partners uh, about what we wanna do in moving people and moving goods. Um, but from the perspective of the vehicle itself, we don't anticipate in the near term uh, to be selling these independently to, to customers. It, it makes more sense as a part of uh, a broader fleet operation to manage this um, because there's infrastructure that has to come along with it as well. Gotcha. Um, and maybe there's a, there's a future point where individual ownership makes sense, but for the near term, it'll be a, it'll be a corporate ownership uh, setting up that service and operating that fleet to, to deliver people and, and objects to where they need to go. Yeah, I can totally see Amazon doing this. I mean, it's perfect for them. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, there are a lot of pilots um, already uh, happening now with a variety of companies. And, you know, we do some of those ourselves. Um, to, th there's a lot of learning in this space. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's a lot of work going around the, the mobility industry and then, you know, the, the, the TNCs and the, and the package delivery companies, et cetera. John, did I forget anything? Was there something I was supposed to ask you? And you're like, why didn't she say this? You know, I think we, we hit the highlights. Again, this, this ability to, to, uh, to have a vehicle now that really represents where we're headed in terms of uh, our commercial business is a huge lever for us. And then the ability to integrate, again, our, our core expertise on the vehicle side, our partners at Argo in terms of their development around the self-driving software uh, and bringing it all together. We're just excited now to kind of bring out the latest phase of our new test vehicles and what they represent for the future for Ford. Every week, I talk directly to manufacturers to get you the latest information about vehicles you're interested in. No opinions, just straight fact from automakers themselves. I'm your host, Laura Reynolds, and that wraps up this week's Driving in Heels. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Driving in Heels. There'll be more next week when Laura Reynolds talks directly to the manufacturers about the cars you love and the cars you want to know more about on Driving in Heels. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.